Hello, plantpreneurs, and welcome to Series 4 of the Plant-Based Business Podcast, brought to you by the team at Vevolution. I'm Eric Amundsen, your co-host and co-founder at Vevolution. And I'm Damien Clarkson. You will know me from previous seasons if you listened. I'm also going to be co-hosting the occasional episode in Season 4. I'm excited to welcome Eric to the podcast as we expand Vevolution and have reached listeners around the world. Over the last year, Vevolution has built the world's leading plant-based and cell ag network and investment marketplace. On the show each week, we explore what it takes to create and scale a plant-based business. We'll interview the best entrepreneurs and investors who are building solutions for a better and kinder world. Thanks for joining us. Tune in each week to be inspired by entrepreneurial stories, tips for fundraising for your business, state of the industry insights from leading investors, and success stories from Bevolution's new investment marketplace. Hey, Eric here. Thanks for listening. A quick word from our sponsor, Plant Belly. There are so many vegan grocery products out there nowadays, and it's amazing. But with all these options comes a lot of trial and error to find the best of the best. It happens to all of us. You buy something that ends up being a little disappointing. But what if you could have all the best vegan products put together in one place and shop them easily on your phone or from home? That's where plantbelly.com comes in. It's a new online vegan grocery store that delivers highly curated plant-based foods right to your door. Plantbelly has hands down the best selection of outstanding plant-based foods I've ever seen. I especially love that you can shop by ethos to find brands owned by women or BIPOC makers. I, for example, always search the latest seafood or deli products. It's a great selection. Plantbelly.com is a team of foodies, vegans, and passionate supporters of small batch makers. And they've handpicked only the tastiest plant-based eats to feature on Plantbelly.com. You can use code VEVOLUTION to get 20% off your first order at Plantbelly.com. That's V-E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N to get 20% off your first order when you visit plantbelly.com. Now back to the show. I'm your host, Eric Amundsen, and today I'm joined by Christy Legale, founder and CEO of Rebellious Foods. Christy, it's great to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, before we kind of get into your story and, and, and I think take it too far back. In just a couple of sentences, what does Rebellious as a business do and what is the problem that you're that you're solving? Yeah, so Rebellious is a food production and manufacturing technology company working to make plant-based meat available and affordable for everyone. So our goal is to be able to make the most delicious plant-based chicken, to sell it in the food service and the retail markets and also the National School Lunch Program but fundamentally to change the cost structure through our technology in manufacturing these products. And that's what makes it, that will make it available and affordable for everyone. So a lot of people don't realize that just in the United States alone, the meat industry clocks in at about 108 billion pounds of animal meat every single year. And yet the plant-based meat industry only makes about one half of 1% of that volume in plant-based meat. Oh my goodness. So we, we're only displacing about one half of 1%. In fact, it's, it's dramatically lower than just the waste in the meat industry. So what we're trying to do at Rebellious Foods is by designing and deploying new production equipment that we've designed ourselves and are now deploying ourselves 
we are actually going to break the cost structure for making plant-based meat so that it will truly be available, affordable, and essentially be scaled to high volume, which really hasn't been effectively possible with the, um, the production technology that exists today. So we're, we're fundamentally going at the problem in a whole different way so that we can bring our consumers the products at a much lower price, at a much higher quality, and in much larger volumes to actually you know, hit 1%, 5%, maybe 10% of the US meat industry. And of course, from there, the sky's the limit. Absolutely perfect intro. It's just so hard to fathom how I think, especially for us, maybe when we're in it just day to day and we're working with each other and we're, you know, really a part of this industry, it's really, it probably feels like everything's super intense, but we've just, you know, the progress is there's still so much to be made. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you and to get into it. You know, you are really thinking differently and acting differently um, to create impact. Uh, but before we get to rebellious, uh, if you don't mind, can you take us back to the beginning a little bit and tell the audience about, you know, your mechanical engineering career, the the advocacy work that you that you've done for animals for so long and kind of, yeah, where it all began. Yeah, sure. My my career started in the aerospace industry, as you referenced, and I'm a mechanical engineer and more specifically an aerospace engineer. I worked on everything from spacecraft to aircraft to um, even the design and development of roller coasters um, for one company I worked on in, in my career. So um, I had a lot of great opportunities to work on intensive, you know, either manufacturing engineering or mechanical engineering. I worked on noise engineering at Boeing as well for a short time. So I've really had a lot of opportunity to um, do really interesting work. And one of the things that I found most interesting um, among many things was the idea of manufacturing technology. So manufacturing technology is the engineering that goes into the tools that we use to build other things. So it's always one step removed, stuff never, nobody ever talks about, um, but it is the tools that we use to make other things. So, um, you know, Boeing Commercial Air Airplanes makes airplanes, but I was working in the in the division that was working on either methods or tools that would help to build those airplanes. So, and those were even novel tools in of themselves. And fundamentally, that's where I got the idea to start addressing, you know, the production of plant-based meat through manufacturing technology, through designing the equipment that we needed in order to make plant-based meat faster, better, and cheaper. As you referenced, um, all the time I was in the aerospace industry, I was also doing essentially volunteer work, and it was volunteer work or advocacy in some form for the protection of animals, um, essentially climate change advocacy, um, support for women's health, um, a wide variety of um, advocacy, and certainly animals are at the top of my list. I, I definitely care a lot about animal welfare, but I also care about you know the the harms that the industrial animal agriculture sector causes our human health. And watching my own family have issues around. Um, heart disease and a wide variety of health-related and diet-related illnesses is, is a very painful thing for all of us and really started to think, well, if I was going to apply my engineering skills, where could I apply it as an advocate 
that addresses kind of all the things that I care about, climate change, human health, animal welfare, and no even pandemic prevention. Well, that would be in the application of addressing large-scale industrial animal agriculture. And so I actually went to work briefly for the Good Food Institute, got a, got a good education there, I should say, in helping them set up the organization and then doing some early white papers. Um, doing a few projects like the UC Berkeley Alt Meat Lab and a variety of other projects. And I really had a good time with that. But one of the things that really hit me hard was understanding that we were still at that one half or one quarter of a percent of the volume. We weren't actually moving the needle on the bigger picture. And that is where I started to think, well, wait a second. <laughs> I, I may not be a marketer. I'm not even a very good cook, though we have other people who do that. We have great product developers at Rebellious, and they're the ones who develop the product, not me. I'm sure everybody's um, joy for that. But the idea there is that if we're going to take these products to a whole new level, if we're going to you know, be selling instead of 500 million pounds or 100 million pounds and then 500, if we need to get into that realm of the scale of the meat industry, we need to be selling it in you know, tens of billions of pounds in order to measurably make a difference in animal product, you know, versus animal products. And that's where I was like, oh, I do have that skill. <laughs> that is what I do know how to do because the meat industry pretty much gave us the, gave us the key to success. For 70 years, the animal meat industry hasn't just been putting a lot of chickens in barns and growing them in, in large quantities. That was one type of industrialization for industrial animal agriculture. The other type of industrialization has been the meat processing portion of it. The mechanical and industrial engineering and you know, fundamental design engineering that went into you know, designing automatic slaughterhouses, automatic chicken processors, automatic decapitators, things like that were very well designed and pursued over the last 70 years. And nothing like this exists in the plant-based meat space. We don't have that level of intensive autom automation for the majority, the, the way that we make plant-based meat today. And so, of course, that is the key that we are going after with Rebellious. Mm -hmm. We've studied the deepest and most impactful bottlenecks. Usually it's around labor because we're hand making things that we should probably have automated a long time ago. And by understanding those major bottlenecks, we have now developed a new production system that automates the most laborious process of making plant-based meat, which is actually the plant-based meat dough making portion. And by doing that, we are um, fundamentally changing the cost structure and the volume structure of plant-based meat. So we developed a new production system that solves a, a large number of these problems, the cost problem, even the quality problem at scale and the volume problem. So we're pretty excited to deploy that technology. I would imagine that you're, you're pretty well educated on, you know, some of those changes in design in manufacturing that were made in the animal agriculture industry, whether it was 60 years ago, 50 years ago, maybe it was longer, maybe it was 70 years ago. You know, do you have any idea that you can tell? I mean, at this point, I'm just curious, like I'm just learning how, how, how fastly that was increasing on the animal agriculture side of things, as far as production, speed, time, you know, reducing labor time, like 
what were there certain things that like really took that to the next level and like do you know when that was do you know if there was like any major names or companies that really drove that like is there anything like you can kind of inform me even just i'm curious but also the audience that's just super fascinating a little bit horrific obviously but yeah it is it is horrific and fascinating and also the the interesting thing to start out that history is that a lot of people don't realize that the plant-based meat industry in the united states predates the industrialization wow. of animal agriculture by almost 40 years. So um, it was really in 1899 that the first plant-based meat was commercialized. It was called Protos. It came in cans and it was made out of peanuts. What? <laughs> and from there, people were people commercialized plant-based meat actually before we industrialized animal agriculture. Now, obviously, people were eating a lot of meat too, and um, plant-based meat in the early 1900s. Um, so 1910 and 1920 was made from a wide variety of plant-based proteins like peanuts and other, um, and wheat gluten, it was very popular as well. So um, these were, these are really interesting products that, um, you know, were, you know, who knows how popular they were. We didn't exactly have the same kind of marketing structure we have today. But it really wasn't until after World War II, and there was a call for a chicken in every pot, and it, and it had been, you know, 10 or 15 years since people started to realize we have to do about something about the adulteration of food, whether it be milk or meat or other types of products, there was more and more understanding that we're making people sick by the food we're eating. And so I think there was a genuine, you know, you say genuinely good intentions to industrialize animal agriculture in that people thought what they were doing at the time was providing food in a protein, a low protein world. And by doing so felt like it was making the food safer to industrialize it. And, and in a lot of ways they were right compared to the backyard chickens and hacking off, you know, necks and things like that to kill chickens in people's backyards and selling them at a farmer's market. Yes, industrial meat processing has gotten a lot safer, but what it led to was the intensification of animal agriculture, which led to the need to process a lot of animals in a short period of time, which then led to the mechanical engineering necessary to automate that process, which of course led to even more automation, more industrialization, more intensification. And as more and more people ate unadulterated meat, you know, of course our, our meat consumption went up. A lot of people don't realize that the chicken that we eat today, just the average consumer is, you know, two or three times what we right. ate in 1950. So we actually don't need to eat this much meat. Um, if, if you think you need to eat meat, you don't certainly don't need to eat much meat, but, um, but this, at the same time, I mean, there were other little plant-based meat companies kind of bumping along at the time, and they never got to be industrialized. They didn't have the backing of the U.S. government. They did not have the backing of land-grant universities that was doing, um, you know, investing essentially uh, government-funded research into animal agriculture. So there was an understanding at the time that these people were doing the right thing. But, um, but that same kind of thought process did not go into plant-based meat at the time. Yeah, and, I, and I don't mean to bring us down into sort of this rabbit hole of a conversation because we could, we could quickly go into that. But, you know, I think it was even today or yesterday, there was an article that announced the 
the the U.S. government is supporting this new like carbon label for beef so that you know uh, companies who have a little bit more of a carbon friendly process can have that label on their product and it's just like there's so much support you know from from our own government into subsidies and into programs and so that's just remarkable um i saw that today i thought that was interesting but at some point you know, this is starting to take shape in your head into this problem that you're, that you're ready to create a solution for what were actually some of these first steps that you took Mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur to, you know, lay the land for, for rebellious foods after that. Yeah. So the first step that I took was to start to think about what does a company even look like around manufacturing technology? Most people, even, you know, five years ago and even up to today, um, which is kind of my little gap in the plant-based meat world, really were working on products, looking at it from a product perspective. And rightfully so. If you don't have a good product, you're out of the game. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how fast you make it. It doesn't matter how how much you make, you don't have a good product, it's not worth anything. But (laughs) what people don't always understand is that manufacturing technology is should be a co-design requirement with your product design requirements. Um, Because the way that we make products determines if they're going to be a high quality. So if if we're, you know, making plant-based meat, but we can only ever make it in small quantities. And then we, when we go to scale it up, which is the case now, and what we find is we can't get that quality from anything over say 2000 pounds an hour or something, you know, small like that, which I'm sure we've gone higher. If we don't have solutions to that, or we don't have cost-effective solutions to that, then you actually don't have a quality product made at scale. And this concept of quality at scale, not just quality, is a really important concept for Rebellious Foods and Seattle Food Tech, because for us, that's the whole game. It's not just having a good quality uh, quality of product. It tastes great and it's got good texture. We start there, of course, but we start there alongside quality at scale with the intention for quality at scale. Eric here. Thanks for tuning in. I want to take a minute to tell you about our sponsor, Moonshot Collaborative. What's the single biggest factor in the success of your business? Your customers. And without any feedback and buy-in from them on your most important business decisions, it's easy to make expensive mistakes. And that's where Moonshot Collaborative comes in. They're a consumer research firm focused exclusively on actionable, affordable insights on plant-based consumers. As a member of the plant-based business community, I know the challenges that plant-based and alternative protein startups face when it comes to consumer research. The options are usually super expensive and not really focused on the people actually buying those plant-based products. But Moonshot Collaborative offers a solution uniquely tailored to startups in this space. Not only is their research cost-effective and action-oriented, but every member of their panel has purchased a plant-based meat, egg, or dairy product in the 90 days prior to signing up. Moonshot Collaborative has a solution to fit any budget. You can choose from custom research or multi-client surveys that offer group pricing, or maybe you need in-depth reports on the beliefs and behaviors of these key consumers. So if you're a startup looking to learn more about your customers, You can use code VIVOLUTION to get 20% off your first five survey questions with Moonshot Collaborative. That's V-E-V-O 
L-U-T-I-O-N, Vivolution, to get 20% off your first five survey questions. Just head to moonshotcollaborative.com to get started. So Rebellious is taking shape. You're hyper-focused on, you know, this industrial problem, this manufacturing problem. Um, first, the question I have is why the name Rebellious and when did that, when did that occur? Yeah, so Seattle Food Tech was our founding name and it is still actually our corporate name. We do file patents, we do file paperwork under Seattle Food Tech. And then in 2019, we brought on the name Rebellious Foods. So we did it for a couple of reasons. First of all, we are a food manufacturer and we sell scrumptious plant-based chicken products, chicken patties, nuggets, and tenders. And we're very excited about that. We love our brand, but we, of course we needed a brand. We had to call it something. And um, we settled on, we worked with a manu- uh, marketing firm that was really near to dear to our hearts. And they came up with the name Rebellious. And it was among a lot of other different options for us. And everybody just like clamored to that. They were like, of course it's rebellious. It, it's, it's beyond just like a new choice. It's like beyond just, you know, the next generation, you know, beyond the next plant-based meat product. It's a rebellion. And it really is. It's the kind of transformation that we are expecting from going after 10 billion pounds of plant-based meat rather than hundred million pounds of plant-based meat. So that's where we really got the spirit of rebellious foods. And then to make it fun, of course, we've got the word belly in there because we kind of reminds people of food that they love to eat. So comfort food. And we were going after the comfort food, the everyday food, the food that kids eat, the food that parents eat, the grandparents eat, the chicken, the chicken sandwich wharf meat, that kind of stuff. And that's why we went after chicken. And that's why we called ourselves rebellious. Yeah. I mean, get into that a little bit more. I mean, so what was there, were there initial discussions between you and, you know, the first couple of team members you had about, about different product options and focus? Um, and was there, you know, heavy consideration for a different direction? Um, well, no, not really. <laughs> Funny you should say that because we always knew we wanted to sell chicken wow. nuggets. And that actually came from the roots in um, my volunteer advocate, my volunteer work with the Humane Society of the United States and meeting Christy Middleton and Josh Bulk in like 2015-ish timeframe who basically were telling people at the time, somebody has to start a plant-based chicken nugget company. Why can nobody do this at the right cost? Why can we get this out to people at the right cost? And um, it turns out that it was pretty hard to do, but (laughs) there was not a question about which product or which type of product we wanted to go after because a lot of people don't realize that the chicken industry is 45 to 50% of the US meat industry. Um, After 2019, when swine flu hit China, chicken is now the largest consumed meat in the world. And in the United States of the chicken industry, 52% of the chicken industry is what's called further processed chicken, a large majority of that, which is bread battered fried chicken. So we were going after the largest segment of the largest sector of the meat industry. Wow. So that's why we do it that way. <laughs> so no, no question about it. <laughs> and, and, you know, one of the focuses that you have is a memory that I have so much, which is growing up and in school, it was always, I mean, obviously not always, but it felt like almost every other day at, for lunch, it was like either breaded chicken tenders or a chicken patty sandwich. And it was, that was like, I would be willing to say 
twice a week, one of those two options for 12 years. Yes, pretty much. That's that's significant. Wow. Um, Can you try to explain to me uh, and the audience, you know, specifically the production systems that you are creating and, and why is it that this makes the business as usual way of producing plant-based proteins uh, products so inefficient, like the typical systems compared to what you're trying to create without, you know, revealing too many uh, secrets or anything <laughs> like that. I think it's worth explaining because it. I think you've explained it to me now uh, a few times, but it's still, uh, it's not easy to grasp necessarily. It's not. And I appreciate you queuing it up that way because you're absolutely right. Um, Food manufacturing in general is a fairly foreign concept. (laughs) Um, In fact, it's one of the reasons we open our factory to guest workers and give people the opportunity to come try it out and see if they like it (laughs) Um, and come see if it's, it's a business for them. But you're absolutely right. Um, The vast majority of plant-based meat in the United States is produced in what's called mix and form production. Um, This is where essentially you're taking some sort of textured vegetable protein, mixing it with some sort of emulsification of oil and water and flavoring. Um, You're hydrating proteins, you're mixing them in just the right way. You're trying to get that perfect texture. You're trying to bring it together like you would bring together a bread dough. And doing that in all the right ways is what uh, we, we, are, we are automating here at Rebellious. So it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, I tell you. It's, it's not something you necessarily have a lot of success at in your, um, in your home. Um, but food manufacturing in general is, um, is, is, tends to be a very foreign concept to people. So we, it is a little hard to explain. But at the end of the day, of, you know, the most of the plant-based meat, that 90% is mix and form. And all of that is made in conventional meat processing equipment. So we have, we ended up, you know, coming here today at at this point in history with essentially very good products, like Beyond Impossible, Morningstar, all these are really good products, but they're based on using this equipment that is meant to produce animal-based meat, hamburgers, chicken nuggets, hot dogs. And the way it's best to describe it is this equipment is like a bowl chopper, which chop, it's like a giant Cuisinart or a conveyor that tries to hydrate um, the texturized protein. It's normally used for marinating products. And so what it does is it tumbles the hydrated proteins around and then, um, and then, you know, and then conveyors and you have to do a lot of batch processing, moving material one to the other. You have to reuse your bowl chopper a couple of times. It ends up being incredibly laborious and taking up a lot of floor time, a lot of labor. It can even be really very risky to workers because of the, you know, potential for back injuries, potential for wrist injuries. And so there's a lot of labor that ends up going into plant-based meat more so than animal-based meat using this same equipment. And that's where Rebellious and Seattle Food Tech um, comes in because that's where we were just like, well, this is ridiculous. We don't have to use the old equipment. We're designers, we're engineers. We can design the right equipment for the job. So what would be the right equipment for the job? You know, a long time ago, I got a, a cute little uh, label or something like that on a, um, a sticker from Eat Just or Hampton Creek Foods at the time. And it said, what would you do if you started over to build the food system? And my, my answer to that is I would build the right equipment for plant-based meat. And that was definitely an inspiration for starting Rebellious Foods. So that's exactly what we've done for the last three and a half years. We have designed a new production system that we call the Mach 1, and it's spelled M-O-C-K because it makes mock meat 
but it also, um, it goes really fast because it makes a lot more mock meat. <laughs> and so it, that's why we called it the mock one. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, that's what we've developed. And, um, once complete, which we completed at the end of the summer last year, we could make the same plant-based meat dough in a completely hands-free didn't require anybody to measure anything. It didn't require anybody to, um, you know, lift any dough out of one bowl to the other. It didn't require any hydrating. All of the, all of the, um, all of the emulsifications were just right. They never broke or got too hot. They handled all the heating and cooling. And so it was just perfect. And so now we're scaling the Mach 1. We call it the Mach 1.5. And we're deploying it on our production floor for a completely hands-free automated production of plant-based meat dough. So for, for my own understanding, how, how I'm kind of understanding is that, is that some of these companies that have really, really scaled over the last four, five, six years... Mm -hmm. Their production uh, is isn't going to be able to you know scale as uh, efficiently as Rebellious come however many years that is from now once you've really started to scale this and build more factories and et cetera. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. But one of the things that I I have to really emphasize is that even though we have scaled the Impossible Burger, the Beyond Burger. In $3 billion of investment to both of those companies alone, we actually haven't brought down the price yeah. very much, or at least we haven't brought down the price. And that's the problem with plant-based meat being produced in the wrong right. equipment. You may be able to scale it by getting another bull chopper and another tumbler, but you don't fix the fundamental physics that are wrong with that equipment being used to make that product. And that's why you don't see a cost reduction because you're not fundamentally changing the energy that's going, the energy and time that goes into that product. All you're doing is amplifying the problem. Mm. And that's why when I, you know, <laughs> yeah. if, if you go to a store the you know, the new impossible nuggets might still be 11, $12 in some places. And that takes a while to get down in price. Um, you mentioned very briefly, and I've seen this and, and, and been really curious to hear your, your, um, you know, the way that you would explain it. So you have guest workers at Rebellious. Can you tell us about that and how that works out and, and, and what exactly that, that program is? Yeah. You know, the great opportunity when you start a new company is you get the, the joy of deciding how you want to run that company. Do you want to run it as a top-down operation? Do you want to run it as a collaborative operation? Do you want to run it as a, you know, closed door situation? Well, obviously, with respect to all of the necessities of food defense and food safety, we run a very tight ship here. But one of the things that we can do is allow people the opportunity to come and try out, um, you know, being a production worker, seeing what it's like, um, and come help us out with shifts, you know, because, you know, it's, it's not the easiest job in the world. And, um, and it's not for everybody. But it is a lot of fun, especially if you're up for a good some exercise. And so, um, you know, part of our team is guest helpers, people who come in maybe once a week, maybe twice a week between picking up their kids or going to yoga class. And even maybe after work, if they happen to work on a different type of shift, um, will come in and help us with a shift here at Rebellious. And 
it's a ton of fun because we get to meet a lot of people who are really dedicated to what we're doing, um, but they also get to learn a new skill. And we've actually hired quite a few of our wow. guest workers into other positions that they were also interested in and even into the production floor. So that's amazing. I don't, you know, I, I haven't heard of a lot of other uh, organizations in general doing that. It's probably not the easiest thing in the world to, to kind of manage and, and put together, but um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the potential of finding someone who's just a perfect fit for your company is probably a little bit higher when you're giving them that sort of entry point into what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, you know, people are looking these days for meaningful work. They're looking for the opportunity to use their skills to make a difference in the world, to address climate change, to address animal welfare. And so um, by offering this, you know, short-term, not short-term, but, you know, essentially like smaller commitment, we can give them the opportunity to participate in the solution and, and also help us out because, you know, it's not easy to find the right people for your production floor. And, um, and then we kind of get to share in the joy as well as the load. So at, at Vivolution, um, you know, we essentially help startups uh, who are fundraising, find investors, um, you know, we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fundraising rounds added to Vivolution over the last year. I personally reviewed many, many pitch decks, hundreds of them. Um, you know, so many brands are really focusing on that multi-channel approach to grow their business, which is great. You know, direct-to-consumer numbers are almost always the first thing mentioned, you know, a key indicator of growth, uh, projections, valuations, et cetera. Um, who are the customers that you're going after that Rebellis is going after and how, um, you know, does direct to consumer play a prominent role in what you're doing? Yeah, it's a great question because it, it speaks to our history and our sordid history with COVID for sure. Um, we started the company Seattle Food Tech and then Rebellious Foods as a food service only operation. The idea there being that, um, we, really wanted to find and be a service to customers that wouldn't normally be able to get a hold of volume products. So the National School Lunch Program is one of our major customers or, or schools in the National School Lunch Program. Um, major food service outlets like ballparks, stadiums, corporate cafeterias, um, and all of those things um, were the customers that we had in 2019 that we built up through 2019. Uh, Christy Middleton, who was our vice president of business development, um, worked diligently all by herself, you know, bringing in school districts and major stadiums and, you know, all sorts of various different um, institutional food service operations. Well, one of the things that all of those things had in common <laughs> was that they all shut down mm -hmm. almost in a moment's notice in mid-2020 with the global pandemic. So at that point, we had some reckoning to do. Um, as a technology company, the first thing we did was hyper, hyper focus our efforts on technology development for a couple of reasons. First of all, plant-based meat needs to come down in costs. We knew we were going to have the solution. At that point, we were still working on the solution, but we could intensify our efforts, even though we had to work in person to do it. We were really intensifying our efforts to make sure that when we came out of this pandemic, or if we ever come out of this pandemic, we will be able to offer a genuine solution to the society. But the other thing is that we had to pivot to the retail market. 
And over the you know, latter part of 2020, well, at the beginning, in the mid-2020, we actually took our food service products and our national school lunch program products, which we called the kick and nugget, and deployed them either in a retail capacity with a temporary um, limited time offer kind of bag um, that we don't use anymore, but it's, it's, on a, it's a legacy bag. <laughs> And then, um, and then we also served community feeding programs. At the time, you know, a lot of people were suffering, um, even food insecurity. And so, rather than let it sit our warehouse, we deployed some of our stock to food food um, food recovery, not food recovery, but essentially community feeding. So, feeding families, sending meals home, things like that. It's it's good to know that food went to went to good use. But we did both of those things. Then the latter half of 2020, we designed new products, three new products, the Rebellious Nugget, Rebellious Tender, and Rebellious Patties. And then in February of 2021, we deployed them as our new retail products. And then the following um, uh, June of 2021, we actually launched those products in over 200 Safeway stores in the Pacific Northwest. And And those store count by the end of this last year of 2021, um, had reached well over 500 stores across the U.S., the Midwest, and will soon be showing up in the Mid-Atlantic area. Wow! Yeah, I um, I was looking on my phone. Nothing, no stores in Denver yet. So you got to let me know. Not yet. Was no uh, stores in Denver yet, but we're getting there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> looking a bit uh, forward into 2022 uh, and beyond, what you know, what are a few general goals you can tell us about um, for you and the team and what you all are focused on the most, um, you know, any products that you can tell us about um, that you're that you're working on. I'm just curious what's what's going on with 2022 with with uh, Rebellious and and maybe you know and beyond. Yeah, so um, 2022 is already off to an amazing start. Um, as I mentioned, the first thing that we're doing is we're putting the Mach One production system on our production floor, and we're going to commission it in the next few months, and then get it operational on our production floor for the for the purpose of showing the world that we actually can break the cost curve on plant based meat. Um, so that's the first thing we are de-risking our own technology. And then we're going to um, obviously scale our own technology. So it's the right technology to scale for producing plant-based meat. This will seriously change the cost structure of plant-based meat. And so we hope by the end of the year, we'll we'll have proven that out. Um, At least we'll prove it out at the smaller scale that we exist here at Rebellious and be ready to to launch into the next um, phase of our scale up for better production of plant-based meat. And then on top of that, on our on our business development side, we are actually are going to be launching a line extension. Um, I, I'll just tell I won't give it away, but it does have something to do with spicy. So um, look for that in the next uh, few months, if not um, maybe six months or so, because we will be commercializing that. Um, from there, we're doing some line extensions to our national school lunch program as well, where we're going to, instead of just having chicken nuggets for the school lunch, we're going to be um, extending that to either chicken tenders or chicken patties or both. So we want our school lunch customers to be able to have the full range of products. And that's what we're really excited about. You know, we serve a lot of school districts. I think it's well into the 15 to 18 each month um, across the West Coast. And it will soon be into um, 
the middle of the country. So we're really excited about our ability to serve that particular market because um, it's, it's really important to get kids a better alternative to uh, conventional chicken products. That's amazing. Um, not that I have any connection or any way to help with this, but the governor of Colorado, Jared Polis, is a well-known vegan. So maybe, oh, that's yeah, right. maybe Colorado would be a good, uh, good school district or a good connection there to make. But um, so we'll wrap up here with just a few more questions. Um, you know, what is the best bit of advice you would give to entrepreneurs who are just now starting out in the plant-based space today? I would say, depending on what you're going into, first of all, learn food safety first. (laughs) It seems like such a boring thing for entrepreneurs to do, but you just, you don't want to learn food safety on the fly. Just try to learn as much about food safety as you can to begin with. Plant-based meat is, I would say, maybe one of the easier products to get right for food safety. It's not like you're slaughtering animals or, um, or even trying to pick watermelons off the ground in, in a farmland or something like that, where food safety is really, really important to address in the right way. But, um, but it is something that every entrepreneur who is working on food production or food um, sales really needs to understand food safety. So I'd say do that first, especially in the plant-based food space. Um, And then second of all, I would say, you know, obviously everybody hears this, but you have to, you have to know your market. You have to make something that people want, which is what Y Combinator is always saying, make something that people want. Um, Because I was really surprised in my early days about what people actually wanted from plant-based chicken, because it wasn't necessarily what I thought they wanted. So for example, early in the early days of trying to understand what consumers wanted um, in place of chicken, it wasn't that they really wanted something that was like, oh, it has to taste exactly like what I think chicken tastes like, because chicken tastes like so many different things. But what they did want was consistency. And they did want it to stop coming in small little packages that they had to open up 10 boxes just to feed their daycare. And they wanted it to they wanted to be able to depend on it, which was the problem with the plant-based meat space and, and, and largely still can be, you know, people still have a hard time getting the products they want. And then of course they wanted it to cost the right amount. So that was a really, really big deal for them. So I would say know, know your customer really, really, really well and, um, and, and go into it with an open mind because, you know, it may not be what you think, what they want may not be what you think they want. Beautiful. So before we finish, uh, we do have a quick fire questions round for you. So I'm going to ask you a question. You just answer it as quickly as you can, just like one sentence and we'll finish with that. You ready? Yep. First question. Why do you get up in the morning? To address animal welfare, human health and climate change. (laughs) What one resource or factor has had the biggest impact on your business so far? Yeah, I would say the accelerator programs that we've been through have made a really, really big difference. Um, But definitely the more experienced investor conversations have gone just as far in supporting Mm. us. So I would say the resource we have are those really experienced investors who can sit down, think critically with me 
and really help define the problem because 90% of the problem is solved by actually figuring out what's going on. Mm. What are your top three books or podcasts uh, that you would, that you would recommend to entrepreneurs? Yeah. So first of all, anything that Jim Collins is right. If you know, Jim Collins, he is a, um, he calls himself a self-endowed professor, um, but it's not a professor per se. He's a writer and a researcher that, um, identifies how companies grow, how companies fall, how entrepreneurs make decisions, how they become good starters, good leaders, or, or not so, and what happens when they do the wrong thing, what happens they do the right thing. And one of the things that um, when I read his books, actually, at the very beginning of starting Seattle Food Tech, I this is really, really helpful information because it's good to know what, what goes wrong when things go wrong. <laughs> anyway, to keep it to one sentence, the other books I really like... Um, is Grace Lee Boggs, um, re- you know, Revolution. I can't remember the full name of it, but I think it's Revolution, uh, Theory of Revolution or something like that. And it's simply because she reminds us all that the solutions are often within us. And, um, and then there's a really good book out that I have found very, very helpful as a female engineer and an engineer or female entrepreneur. Um, and it's by a local um, writer here and it's called Mediocre. And I hope, the, I hope the name is not offensive, but everybody should definitely read this book. It's called The Dang- Dangerous Legacy of White Male America. And basically it talks about why things are the way they are um, which is, you know, largely dependent on, you know, this basically very racist minority rule that's built into our society. And so um, the reason I find it really helpful as an entrepreneur is because I have to make so many decisions that are politically driven and um, being able to understand where those are coming from has been very helpful by reading that book. Um, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started? I think I wish that I, <laughs> so many things, uh, rapid fire response to that. I wish I had, I wish I had known how to hire better earlier on. I can't say we necessarily had any big problems with that, but one of the things that we really insist on here at Rebellious is that people want to come work for us, not just are enticed to yeah. <laughs> So um, passion matters a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a significant challenge to find the right team, especially early on. And, um, you know, we talk about that a lot on the podcast. I've been, I'm going through it myself as hiring the first couple of people that I've ever had to hire. And it's, um, yeah, I wish I knew, you know, what the secret was. Last question. <laughs> uh, what do you do to keep yourself sane and happy? Well, I take my dogs for a walk um, and I love taking care of my house. I love doing that. And, um, and then I, I try to sleep more, (laughs) (laughs) but I don't really get that much sleep, but I always, my reward for doing so many things is just being able to go to sleep. I get it. (laughs) So, um, yeah, Chrissy, it's, it's been great to have you on here. Rebellious is doing just such amazing work and something so different from, you know, I think what so many of the other companies are doing. It's just so great to hear you explain it and for you to walk us through it. I really appreciate it being here on the plant-based business podcast. Wish you all the best this year and thanks again for being on the show. 
Hello, Eric here, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Plant-Based Business Podcast brought to you by us here at Vivolutions. We're building the world's leading plant-based and set lag community and marketplace. Head on over to www.vevolution.com to join our marketplace of investors and startups building solutions for a brighter future. In 2021, more than 25 startups secured partial or full round funding on Vevolution. And if you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a positive review. And please consider sharing it on your preferred social media channels. It really helps more people discover the positive stories we're sharing from around the world. Please give us a shout and tag us when you tell others about the podcast. You can find us on all social media channels at Vivolution. And you can email us at hello at Vivolution.com if you want to reach out. We love hearing from our listeners. As always, thank you to Bridie Allison Child, who edits the podcast, and all of our guests and you, our listeners, for supporting the show. See you next time.